is? Yeah. Yeah. If I ever rob a bank, that's my ammo. One <laughs> <laughs> lonely little. And Kristen's drinking water today, so. <laughs> I'm drinking water, I'm trying to be healthier. Hell yeah. Welcome to the Nightmare Box. Presenting mistakes were made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from across. I'm sitting across from. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the badass bitch. Might be dying of pancreatic cancer. Kristen Bloom. Don't put that on me. Appendicitis is curable. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Way to bring the mood I down. I forgot which disease you got today. <laughs> oh, my appendix, or the area where my appendix is, is sore. So we are actively monitoring that, making sure. Apparently you're trying to kill me, <laughs> you jackass. I don't think I can give you a pancreatic cancer. Well, you're putting bad vibes into the universe. You Speaking believe, of... You believe in all that Buddha shit? <laughs> don't put your juju on me. The juju. So how has your week been? Uh, stressful. <laughs> I'm permanently behind on my work and uh, tired. <laughs> we played Elden Ring. We did. What do you think of that so far? We just started that last night because a bunch of my friends have it, and uh, I'm not normally into that sort of thing, but Kristen likes the Skyrim, mm -hmm. and this looked like Skyrim, so I was like, let's give it a shot. I'm very confused by it, um, which I'm sure if we had bothered to Google anything at all ahead of time, it would have been a bit easier, but I don't really feel like they give you too much of an intro. I guess technically that little like cave at the beginning is supposed to be the tutorial. Mm-hmm. Um, we got killed a bunch in the cave. Yeah. But yeah, they don't really like explain anything. And most games will kind of give you a soft open and be like, hey, this is the concept and go. Yeah. Uh, and they don't really. And then after you get past that section, you're just out in this big, vast open wilderness. And I'm sure there's a way to get a little map in the corner, but we don't have a little map. So I'm just mm -hmm. like, where do we go? What are we supposed to be doing? Yeah. So it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Even with Skyrim, like. It's a very open world universe, so there's a lot you can do in Skyrim, and you don't necessarily have to do all the side quests. You can focus on the main objective, but you get a main objective, <laughs> like, right up front. So you're like, oh, this is my choice. I can yeah. either go left or right. And all we really know for sure is eventually we're going to go to that big castle, and I don't know what we're doing with the rest of the world here. Yeah. That's... I'm good at, at sneaky. I'm good at scurrying from bush to bush. Yeah, it took us a few tries to realize you could heal yourself, so... <laughs> uh, We'll get there eventually, I guess. It's an interesting game. I'm just very confused by it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it because, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not really into those types of games. But getting to see you be into those types of games makes it fun for me. I you spent know, to like watch an hour creating my character. You spent like an hour creating your character. She goes, I can only hang out for an hour. 45 minutes later, she's like, I don't know if the bridge of the nose is higher or lower. How, how, how wide well, is the, the forehead? The then we found out how to like stuck out really aggressively, too. I was <laughs> like, I don't have protruding eyebrows <laughs> and then we found out a way to make the, the mouth really big and that never got bored boring for me <laughs> yeah uh so we have to do that when we make your character too I spend 45 minutes i'm a yeah. bald white guy yeah it's I'm... pretty easy make him six foot two there's a lot of pudgy. different features you can have a skinny nose a big nose you can have cross eyes you can have <laughs> clouded eyes so you look like storm as you pointed out i'm gonna make him red <coughs> you can have red eyes you can look like you're high hell yeah which is pretty much what i'll be doing every time we play elden ring <laughs> getting high there are way too many <laughs> options for customizing but also 
Like, it's really hard to make the chick look like a chick and not like a dude. Yeah, you had to do a lot of adjusting. Thank you, is that Winston, for taking a shit on the show. Literally shitting on my dreams. Um, That's what he does. You had to do a lot from, like, the initial character build to get it look anything like a female. Like, it was a little androgynous, and then it looked like Jarhead (laughs) for a while. Yeah. Yeah, and every, like, small tweak, I was like, I'm making it worse somehow. (laughs) So. had a paper thin nose at one point but it looked great from the side and they were like well, they, what the hell and maybe that's <coughs> meant to be more inclusive but they don't list the body types as like male and female i mean you can kind of tell one's clearly supposed to be, be yeah. a female and one's clearly I think supposed that's to like be a, a politically correct move we're just going to label this a and b yeah. yeah yeah it's literally body type a and body type b and then you can choose even after you pick the body type that's clearly more feminine if you want that body type to look more masculine or more feminine Mm-hmm. But they all kind of vaguely looked, yeah, androgynous. So I was, like, having the worst time, like, trying to make it look more feminine. I kind of liked that inclusivity in the those particular kind of games. Like, the games that I play are not to say that they're dumb. Like, I've got some smart games. They're bro games. But they're bro games, you know. It's a lot of shoot-em-ups. I've been really getting into, and I'm not good at it, so don't think that I'm challenging anybody. Uh, that NBA 2K I'm terrible. I play on rookie mode all the time, and I'm always either the all-time Spurs or the all-time 90s Dream Team, and I I play on rookie. (laughs) I like the aspect that you could make it a bit more ambiguous, but I do wish... um, I don't know. I feel like sometimes inclusivity... Uh, People swing too hard the other direction, so they just try to eliminate everything else, and they're like, we're all just, you know... Person. Like a melting pot, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, I wish there was an option to be, like, you could be more masculine or more androgynous or more feminine. Like, Mm -hmm. I wish there was a bit more of a spectrum there, because, yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, I guess, realistically, if you're out there being a bandit in some (laughs) world that I don't understand, you're probably, yeah, you're probably not going to look like Kim Kardashian. (laughs) But still, I would have liked to have been, like, can we get, like, a little bit more, like, cheekbones and a little bit more, like, makeup? (laughs) Whereas mine, it's typically, it's like fucking Call of Duty. And it's like, okay, well, this is the ghillie suit that I'm wearing for this match. Go. <laughs> You're like, can we get more five o'clock shadow? <laughs> I need a gun. But you made fun of my UFC character when I was playing my UFC game because he, he was like Mexican, Mexican. Yeah, I'm you always go even... a bit aggressive with the dark skin on uh, your character. I'm a little tan in the sun. Like I, I tan up really well in the summertime, but they don't have like the color that I turn in the summertime because <laughs> I'm not Hispanic. I just I tan really well. Yeah, you've played characters before. I was like, you know, that's a it's black like you, man, right? It's like, you know, he's orange. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a black man. It looks Brad. like you with a bad spray tan. <laughs> Yeah, I'm doing digital blackface. I guess to be fair, um, customizing games isn't perfect, Mm -hmm. even with mine. Like some of the skin tones, I was like, "That's like gray." (laughs) That's a little dodgy. This person is dead. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But no, it's. it's, I'll be. I guess interested to learn more about it. I'm still kind of like confused by what the point is. Yeah, and it's going to take us a while to kind of really get into that because you are having to do a lot of work at night. So, like, it's not something we can play every night, but I am happy that we've got something, like, if we want to kick back with a bottle of wine and die a hundred times in an hour, uh, we can do that together, and it's always a good time. I think it's, uh, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's interesting that when you die, you basically go back to, I guess it's the same concept of whenever you die in a video game, you go back to your same last save point. Mm -hmm. It's similar to that, but, like, it's not like... 
you died, do you want to restart or whatever, you know? It's like, you died, and then you get just zapped back, and you're like, fuck, I gotta do the whole thing again. Son of a bitch. Yeah. Like, when we entered that one room yesterday, which was confounding, we, I think it was, like, the first boss that you face in the little cave area, and Kristen was playing, we walk in, and there's, when other people die, like, these bloodstains show up, and you can kind of see how they died, like, what they were doing just seconds before it all went black on them, and you ran in the room and fucked up the bad guy with, like, four solid hits. Like, I don't know how the hell you pulled that off. And then the rest of the room is just soaked in blood. And it's like, did everybody else just get fucked up by this dude? Kristen <laughs> ran to the left, got behind him, and, like, hacked his head off with a fucking sword. Well, no, I, um... Because I play a lot of games like that. Um, those are the games I prefer. Um, that shield is tiny, though. The shield they start you with. I was like, I don't have faith in this shield. <laughs> but I like went at him, and I didn't try to swing on him. I held my shield up, and I was like, I'm going to let him swing first. And you get, like, if you're fast enough, like a two-second window. For, like, a counterpunch. Yeah, in <laughs> most games, like, when the enemy has just swung, you get, like, a few seconds before they recoup to either swing again or shield themselves. Mm -hmm. If you're fast enough, you can get in there. And if you keep going... They don't get time to recoup, so I was just like, button mash! <laughs> she goes, I've been watching a lot of UFC recently. Don't let it go. Yeah. And we still haven't quite figured out how to use the bow and arrow entirely. I don't I... understand the inventory system. There's yeah. a lot that I've... This game's too smart for me. Like, I look at it, and I'm like, oh, this is, you know... I don't look down on World of Warcraft-type people. I know some World of Warcraft-type people. You used to be a World of Warcraft-type person, but there's a lot that goes into that that does not go into Call of Duty. Like, this is my gun. My gun shoots this far. Go. Well, it's fun, though, in those type of games, because fantasy games are pretty immersive um, as far as, like, the world and your character goes. So in a lot of fantasy games, you do get this really in-depth character creation process. And then um, in Skyrim, it's a little less so. I mean, you do, to some extent, kind of get to customize your <laughs> outfit. You can either do, like, heavy armor or, like, leather or lighter armor or whatever, and... Um, depending on what class you are, I think that changes your armor a little bit. But I think in World of Warcraft, it was like you could literally like customize like armor. Yeah. Um, so I don't know it's kind of fun because you get this character, and then it's usually like some kind of fantasy thing. Like I mean, a lot of these games offer like a human race character too, but it's some kind of fantasy thing, mm -hmm. and you get to kind of invent their backstory, and yeah. then like dress them up how you want to dress them up and picking the voice was my favorite part because they had like eight different samples and it all sounded like a woman like getting murdered and yeah. like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, uh. which was a weird choice because most samples they let you hear the person say a sentence which yeah. i guess the character in this game probably doesn't talk so maybe that's why but yeah <laughs> it was all just uh. <laughs> 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 like shit like that Oh, and you get to leave messages. That was fun. Oh, yeah. What was your first one? Uh, time for Bo. <laughs> so, because I was like, whenever we um, were like first starting out or whatever, like there's all these little like glowing messages on the ground that other players leave. And like they're all, like all of them sound like really like old fashioned. It's mm -hmm. like, ye Elden Scroll or whatever. Like it's like that kind of wording. It's like, that's weird. Is everybody just really into this? They're like yeah. trying to like use the language. And then the first time we went to use a message, it gives you a format you have to pick from. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> use so, bow. Yeah. Um, the one of the other bad guys that was kind of tougher. Uh, I just shot and killed him from a distance. So I was like, time for bow. <laughs> and we got one upvote on it. So Hell yeah. solid advice. I wonder if we get anything when we get the little upvotes. 
I think it's just fun to see. People are either like, you're a fucking liar. Or... It's like, you're a legend. I didn't know how the fuck I was going to get around that guy. And then I used Bo. Yeah, and then people can like say beware of stuff. And sometimes you see like beware of liar. And you're yeah. like, oh no. Which one of you is leading me yeah. astray? Initially, when we were just looking at the blood patches, and it was just dudes jumping off the side of the cliff because they didn't realize there was a bridge. Well, I'm curious what the point of that is, too. Like, because it happens so frequently. Like, there's a lot of blood patches where people leapt off the cliff. Like, were they just like, let's see what this does? Or is there a point to jumping off the cliff? Like, was I'm there just... a message or something? Yeah, did they fall for somebody else's bad advice? But there's mm-hmm. a lot of people jumping off cliffs in this game. <laughs> so if you know what the meaning behind that is, if you've drunk the Kool-Aid and also jumped off the cliff, let me oh, know what that's yeah. about. <laughs> we need to know what's going on in Elden Ring. But that's not what we're really here to talk about today. Goodbye. and that's all Um, as I brought up um, on last week's episode I recently finished Norm MacDonald's fantastic 2016 comic novel based on a true story not a memoir and uh, today I got to do some research for like an hour which mainly comprised of me flipping through some of the funnier scenes in the novel and watching interviews I watched one today that legitimately almost made me cry it was a I'm a big Norm MacDonald fan, uh, more of his stand-up than his SNL stuff. Not that his SNL stuff's bad by any means, but I'm not a big SNL fan. But I do have his comedy albums, and I will listen to them from time to time. Um, And I found the last time he was on David Letterman, and I think Letterman's show was coming to an end. It was like 2015 or something like that. Excuse me. And he's telling all of his like non sequitur jokes, this, that, the other thing. And then he goes, but before I, you know, get out of here, I want to share the first time that I met David Letterman. And he goes, I was 13 years old. And then he starts to cry on stage. Oh, no. Like he can hardly fucking keep himself together to get through the story to tell his favorite David Letterman joke from when he was 13, that first night that he saw him. And it was just heartbreaking. I was sitting there going, Brett, don't cry. Don't cry because Norm's Aww. crying. Don't cry because Norm's crying. And then he ends it and like basically just hugs Letterman and he's barely holding on to himself you know, as they're bringing in the band and doing the outro music and stuff Aww. like that. So I got to watch a bunch of Norm clips today and that was really fucking cool. Um, you aren't necessarily the, the world's biggest Norm fan, but definitely since his passing, you've heard a lot more of his material, I'd imagine, than you did before. Well, you and I have watched some of his stuff together, too. Do you have a favorite Norm bit, or is it... Uh, No, not really, but uh, one that stands out is when he's telling Conan O'Brien, in particular, Mm -hmm. the story about the lightning bug. Oh, the moth? Yeah, the moth. The moth joke in its entirety? You can tell Conan's just like, where is this going? (laughs) It's paragraphs and paragraphs. It's like, I think in the novel, it comes out, it's in the book, uh, to like three straight pages, and it all goes to one punchline. And for those of you out there that have not heard the moth joke, uh, just Google Norm MacDonald moth joke. It's easier to follow in the novel because you aren't getting interrupted, but I believe it's Conan or Jimmy Fallon, whoever he's telling the joke to. It is Conan. Mm-hmm. Um, keeps interrupting him because normal build out five sentences and then he'll build on five more sentences and it frustrates the shit out of Conan. He's like, just get to the fucking point of the story. I love the goddamn moth joke. Uh, my personal favorite is off of the album that I have. I think it's Norm doing stand up or something like that. Some all of his titles are kind of goofy, but um, 
it's the one about the news where he falls in love with Janice, who has disappeared and will be found in a shallow grave. And he like builds this relationship with Janice throughout the entirety of the bit. And it, it gets me every time. It, if I feel bad, I put on the Janice bit. Because my favorite thing that Norm ever says is on account of, and <laughs> I hear it in his cadence, uh, really makes me fucking smile. Always makes me feel good on a bad day. Um, but I, I bought this, I was going to buy this novel. I found out about it after Norm had passed away. And as some of you may know, it was like an immediate best-selling novel the day after he died. You couldn't fucking get it anywhere. I went to Barnes and Noble. They didn't have any copy. Amazon was like, it's going to be 60 days. Like, <laughs> we can't keep up printing with the amount of people that want to read this now. And so it took me forever to get a copy. And I went to Barnes and Noble a few months ago, and there it was on the shelf. So I scooped it up. Didn't expect it to be... I mean, I, I didn't expect it to be bad. I thought it would be good. Was not expecting what it is, which is fucking fantastic. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of comic novels. I like stand-up comedy, but as far as haha books, it's not really my thing. This thing's fucking hilarious. Uh, it's called, um, based on a true story, not a memoir, because it is not a memoir. <laughs> it is very, very little truth inside That's of it. Loosely based on a true story. <laughs> very, it's, very it's loosely based, based on a true story. The way movies are when they open <laughs> with that sentence. <laughs> Technically, Norm is a character inside of the book. Um, so, for those of you who haven't read it, um, if, unless you're planning on not reading at all, I would turn it off now because I'm going to spoil some pretty major things as I go along here. But I've got some things that I found very poignant about it that I'd like to discuss with you today. Turn it back on after you're done reading, though. Don't turn us off forever. What about me? I'm sad today. <laughs> I'm sad too. <laughs> so, we've got basically... Three main characters. Um, the fourth, if you want to conclude with what turns out to kind of be the bad guy, but he's not really long around long enough to be considered like an antagonist of sorts. Your first main character is Norm. Now, this is a distinction. It's Norm in quotation marks because it's not actually Norm MacDonald because this is not a true story. Not a memoir. Not a memoir. Then you've got Adam Egott who was one of Norm's close friends. If you remember when we watched that show on Netflix, Norm MacDonald has a show or whatever it was called. The guy that was at the desk with him, that's Adam Egan. Uh He is like renowned as the guy who saved the comedy store, brought the comedy store back to what it is now. And in the book, he's Norm's assistant, but he's never assisted Norm, as Norm will tell you throughout the book. He goes, <laughs> he's my assistant, but he's never assisted me. <laughs> Um, and so he's kind of the tag along for Norm throughout this. He drives him all over the place. Um, and then there's Terrence Keene, a.k.a. Charles Manson, who's the ghostwriter. He's this really disgruntled ghostwriter, former fan of Norm MacDonald. And by the end of it, he becomes this, like, God character more than a narrator. He's creating the events as they are happening <coughs> in a way. And so what I mean by that is like at the fever pitch of the madness, because basically what the, the main beats of the story are, um, you've got the origin of Norm being told, you know, through these series of flashbacks. But in the real time, Norm and Adam are going to Vegas. 
so that they can get all of the credit Norm's built up over the years to try to get a million dollars so that Norm can move to Montana and hire Adam as his ranch hand. It's pretty much Norm's entire plan here. Retire to Montana. And uh, long story short, much like happened several times in Norm's actual life, he went completely broke fucking gambling, loses fucking everything, goes out in the desert, meets this guy referred to as uh, the man with the artificial hair. I think the fat man with the artificial hair is what they call him, uh, who becomes our antagonist. He loans Norm an extra million to go off to Atlantic City and try to double the money, but he's mob connected. So... Norm loses the money all over again and it spends the rest of the novel being hunted by the fat man with the artificial hair. As that's I'm curious happening. Curious who that's modeled after. <laughs> As that's happening, Keen, our ghostwriter, um, is trying to sell a manuscript about this painter that like paints the insides of people's houses just like regular, you know, I go to the apartment complex and I paint the walls of the apartment white. But he's got this dream to be this great painter. So he starts doing these beautiful murals inside of people's houses and becomes famous. Like that's the manuscript that Keane's trying to sell. He can't sell Keane's... Keane can't sell his own book, but he's working for Norm, who he's growing to hate more and more as this thing goes on. When Norm loses the money in Atlantic City, he goes to Keane because he figures, we finish the book, we sell the book, I get my million, I can pay off the fat man with the artificial hair. And I'm still broke. Yes. And at that point in the novel, something really interesting happens where Norm and Adam realize that in the confines of the book and thus in the confines of the story that's being told in the book, all this madness is all coming out of the imagination of Keen, the ghostwriter, who is in a way creating the situation where now they're being chased by the fat man with the artificial hair. Yeah. He's writing the events kind of like that Will Ferrell movie. Um, so Keen dresses up as Norm, puts on Norm's like Dirty Works hat and his SNL jacket and all this other shit, goes down to a comedy club, pretends to be Norm, does such a good job pretending to be Norm, um, that the fat man shows up to kill Norm Norm and kills the ghost rider. And that's kind of how the book comes to a, a grinding end there. So those are your main beats of the story. But I really liked this concept that Norm and Adam realize that they're a figment of the ghostwriter's imagination and that none of this has actually happened, right? Let me know if I lose you because I, I thought about this for like an hour today. Still here. So when Norm becomes the ghostwriter and the ghostwriter is shot by the fat man with the artificial hair, we essentially lose the subject of the memoir. So now it would be like a biography, right? Norm MacDonald is dead. This is the events that led up to that, blah, blah, blah. And by killing the subject, by giving the identity to the ghostwriter and then having him killed, we're essentially left with the essence that is Norm MacDonald is the memoir. So there is no Norm MacDonald in the book, but the book is Norm MacDonald. It's very meta. Is that too meta? A little too meta. Did I go too hard on it? A little too meta. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take your word for it, though. Said, well, what I wrote down here is like it it leaves his quirky little essence intact and strips him out of the whole process, which is almost the whole point of a memoir. You know, if I read the memoir of 
I, I don't think Kurt Cobain ever wrote one. Um, it's going to be like, you know, uh, give me a memoir. If I read Stephen King's memoir, you know, and he's telling me all of these stories, those stories being true or those stories being false, you know, the section in the um, on writing where he's run over by the guy in the van because the guy's distracted with the Rottweiler. Whether or not that Rottweiler ever existed doesn't matter because the overall point of that scene inside of that memoir is to create this like final act tragedy for King. Now he can't sit down for long hours to compose the way that he used to. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that makes sense. I okay. just, I think it's an odd approach, which, I mean, from everything I've seen about Norm, he seemed like a... a little odd. A quirky character <laughs> himself. Um, it just seems like an odd approach to basically write a fiction story that's somehow also a memoir. Yeah, because there's definitely parts in there that happen. Like, he's got pictures in there from, like, him meeting Adam Sandler and working as the... Um, the weekend update guy, the very final pictures, his son sitting in his lap at the weekend update desk, you know, so there are sections that are true. We know he was in SNL. We know that he had a severe gambling addiction. I'm curious if he ever at some point actually wanted to retire in Montana. I, I would imagine so, you know, but, um, I don't know. Maybe I went too meta and now I've confused myself. Well, well <laughs> I mean, he did actually write a ghostwriter character in there. So, I mean, yeah. like that stuff like is in the book it's just an odd choice to be like i'm gonna write it like it's a fiction story that's happening but it's also sort of about my life and the yeah. people that were close to me what comes to mind all of a sudden is um the lemony snicket character in the lemony snicket books the bond with the bond series of the diggy diggy events with the <laughs> Family's called the Baudelaire's. The Baudelaire's, yeah. Uh, kind of like that character, where Lemony Snicket is the author's pen name, but he interjects himself inside of the stories from time to time. Mm. Kind yeah. of similar to yeah, that. Intros it by like saying how much he doesn't want to tell the story and mm -hmm. how unfortunate it is. And he's being chased by the bad guys. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah, that's a good point. Because, yeah, he's also being chased by whatever the secret I've tied it together. Is. Norm's a hack. He stole it all from a series of unfortunate events. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I think that series got pretty absurd at the end, yeah. too. So. <laughs> but I just think we see more of Norm um, in his absence. And that was kind of like the, the poetic arc that I wanted to go with my way too meta theory on this book. Um we see more of Norm in his absence because it's all stripped down. When he wrote it and published it, he was dying of leukemia, like acute leukemia that nobody knew about for like nine years because this came out in 2016. He died in 2021, so he would have been well in his way of his diagnosis by the time the novel came out. And there's one particular scene that I'll go over here in a minute where I feel like he's... It's called The Final Chapter. I read it to you the other night. Mm -hmm. Um, it feels to me like that's the only true part. <laughs> like, this is Norm's actual thoughts. Here's his 1,500 words. Fuck off. Back to the funny. You, do you want to... Well, I, it might be a bit long. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I, yeah, sure. I had two other ones that I wanted to do before that. Oh, I'll, I'll do, do the two other ones before that, then. <laughs> do it in whatever order you want to do it in. I'm, You're running this show. I'm trying. This is... I was going to try to come up with something clever similar to not a memoir, but I've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a podcast. <laughs> this is why I'm not a writer. 
Oh, God. Uh, so this is um, page 112, 113. He's kind of talking about his uh, gambling addiction. And he's just kind of come off of this massive bender where he thinks when he comes out of the bender, you know, he won all of his money last night. Everything's going great. <clears throat> Finds out he's been in a blackout for a month. He's lost everything that he has. And now he owes Las Vegas $4 million. So he's in this really bad way. And I liked the way here he kind of addresses his gambling addiction. He says, I remember a psychiatrist once telling me that I gamble in order to escape the reality of life. And I told him that's why everyone does everything. But I've had plenty of wasted nights after losses and bigger losses to consider the question more seriously. Why the attraction? Most people would think it's the wins that keep the gambler going, but any gambler knows this isn't true. As you place your chips on the craps table, you feel anxiety and impatience. When the red dice hit the green felt with a thunk and you're declared the winner and the chips are pushed toward you, you feel relief. Relief is all. And relief is fine, but hardly what a man would give the whole rest of his life to gain. It, is, it has to be something else. And the best I've come up with is this. It is a particular moment. A magic moment that occurs after the placing of a bet and before the result of that bet. It is after the red dice are thrown, but before they lie still on the green felt where they fall. It is when the dice are in the air, and as long as they are there, time stops. As long as the red dice are in the air, the gambler has hope, and hope is a wonderful thing to be addicted to. That's kind of sad, though. I mean, I don't really know um, what his what all his life was like. I know it kind of opens up something kind of serious and sad yeah, about old Jack. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, but I don't know that someone that could like have. I mean, I guess he probably wasn't the level of famous that maybe he had hoped he would be, but someone that had a successful mm -hmm. career and had friends that loved him. Like, I don't know, to like still like struggle with a demon like that. Yeah. Sad. Well, I, I wanted to kind of get into his head a little bit, so I was reading some articles that I found. I, I don't have one in particular to pull from. Um, but one of them pointed out that Norm is in this weird middle ground that nobody else in maybe the history of SNL has found themselves. Like he didn't achieve the successes of, you know, Adam Sandler and David Spade and, you know, those level of guys. But he also didn't die young, you know, like the other legends of SNL. He found this perfect middle ground where, like, you knew or know Norm or you don't. <laughs> like, you might remember him from Weekend Update, and he's got a really poignant thing in here about how he's always that guy that, like, you look at and you snap your fingers and you go, I know you from somewhere, you son of a bitch. But, like, he never, like, went over the top with it, and he never truly lost it all. So that gambling scene... I don't know. Maybe, I think there's a lot there as far as, like, that, that hope that things will get better. Uh, the hope that things don't get worse, that somebody like that finds. Yeah. Like, very comforting, almost, because that red dye in the air is his entire life. That's still kind of sad, though. Didn't mean to make you sad. That's kind of sad. Well, make you laugh now. <laughs> um, the one I'm going to do next is from 140 to 141. I'm going to break it up so it's not... I'm not going to read it as it is because it'll be too long. Um, 
basically he gets a call while he's doing, you know, before he's doing Weekend Update, but while he's writing on the show uh, from the Make-A-Wish Foundation. There's this little boy. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what's going on with me today. Want some water? No, it's all right. There's this little boy, and he's dying of cancer in a hotel. He's, uh, Norm says um, uh, he's 10, which is very young, but he'd be dead in a year, which made him very old. And so he goes to the little boy's uh, hospital room. It's the scene where we get the moth joke in its entirety. It doesn't come out of Norm's mouth. It comes out of the doctor's mouth. So he gives the joke to a different character, which I thought was an interesting move. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's talking to the little boy, and the little boy wants to spend a week at SNL watching things go from an idea to the actual filming of the bit come Saturday night. So he goes to meet the kid and like they make up plans to go tour uh, with his mother. And then the kid pulls him in and he says, no, my, my dying wish is I want to club to death a baby seal. That's terrible. <laughs> and so... Norm scoops him up. They fly out to Alaska. They meet this guy. They go on this big journey. This kid gleefully slaughters this baby seal. That's terrible. And while he's frozen and soaked in seal blood, he throws his cancer pills into the ocean, comes back completely healed, and a year later is run over by a bus. So Norm is at the kid's funeral in this scene. He's got this beautiful speech prepared. Um... But he balls it up early and throws it away and then just rambles for like an hour and it doesn't go anywhere. And then he can't get his speech back. It's a whole, it's a hilarious scene leading up to this. And uh, says, okay, well, I can't make out any of the big fancy words now at all, but it's nobody's fault. I mean, in all fairness, part of it is my fault for crumpling it up and tossing it away so cavalierly. You know, I think cavalierly may have been one of those big fancy words in my speech. Also, it's partly the sweet old lady's fault for spilling so much coffee on the paper, and not a single word can be made out. But we're not here to place blame. I will say this about the young boy in the tiny white coffin. Despite the doctor's dire predictions, the boy was too tough, resolute, and courageous to let something as small as a deadly disease defeat him. No, the boy was made of stronger stuff than that, and it took much more to defeat him. It took a three-ton municipal bus moving at 40 miles per hour and driven by one Cecil Richard Anderson to defeat this boy. I heard the deepest of sobs and looked down to see a man wearing some sort of bus driver's uniform being held up by two women. So that's the, <laughs> the first part, which I thought was just funny. But um, this next part. I guess it's going to be kind of sad, too, because while they're in the boat and they're going to club the baby seal, they spend the entire time looking up at the clouds. And they're like, this one looks like an elephant. That one looks like a turtle, blah, 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 blah. So at the very end of the chapter on the next page, 141, there was a small hole in the ground and some dirt beside it. We stood in a circle and the sad faced pastor said some things in Latin and then we formed a line. The sun was directly overhead and made the tiny white coffin ever so bright. And I took a handful of dirt and flung it on top, and then it was the next guy's turn. Afterward, I walked back alone down a long black top road, and it was cold. And in the sky, there were white clouds, and they all looked like white clouds and nothing else. 
I feel like there's probably a lot of metaphors in this book that I'm just too dumb to pick up on. <laughs> I'm like, like, there's a reason he's sick and he's telling these stories for sure. That's what it hit me when I read that. Like, suddenly they were just white clouds. Like, the, the, the love of life and, like, new experiences fallen away from him in these, like, little brief instances. I thought were but very I, poignant. I think there's probably especially... And the power of, I'm sorry, and the power of putting it right next to that joke. You know, here's this funny, it took a lot more, it took a bus, you know, <laughs> then right into the serious mode again. I think there's probably something, too, behind, um, just given the opening chapter or the opening of the book or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and the kid killing a baby seal because there's a loss of innocence there. Yeah. And then... Like, especially because he was dying of leukemia, like the throwing away of the cancer pills. I'm like, there's something here, and I'm just too dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe it would make more sense. Like, and a lot of the metaphors I kind of caught in retrospect, um, thinking about them at work as I read on my lunch break. So thinking about them after I've put the book down for the day, and then they popped a bit more. But that's one of the reviews that I kept seeing, especially the newer reviews, is the book got like panned, I guess, when it came out by, you know, a lot of the big time critics who didn't understand it, didn't know Norm's sense of humor. Um, But after he's died, and now it's revealed that he was battling leukemia at the time, a lot of this book makes a lot more sense. So I think you're not the only one who may have missed. Well, I'm not familiar with his career or his life either, so I don't think that helps. But I'm like, some of the stuff he's saying, I'm like, mm, there's something here. <laughs> it is beautiful. He does this really interesting thing. This isn't one of the big ones that I wanted to dive into. Uh, chapter 10, he's got the top 25 weekend update jokes of all time in no particular order. The first one he gives to Chevy Chase. The other 24 are all his. <laughs> <laughs> this week on... The O.J. Simpson trial, Johnny Cochran delivered a spellbinding final summation. In a brilliant move, Cochran put the knit cap prosecutors say Simpson wore the night of the double murders. Although O.J. may have heard his case when he suddenly blurted out, Hey, hey, be careful with that. That's my lucky stabbing hat. (laughs) (laughs) And a whole bunch more of those. Traditions are important. Superstitions are important. And then this last little bit, I can't read the entire chapter on here. It's only, you know, maybe two and a half pages, but um, you need to read the fucking book. Uh, This might have been one of the most brilliant chapters I've read so far this year in any of the books that I've read this year. Um, It's called The Final Chapter. We alluded to it earlier. And it's the only time in the book where I think that we get an actual in-depth directly from norm i'm not pulling away from how uncomfortable this might make you moment as far as a you know sign off good night because we get the final chapter which is then followed by me myself and i the last part of the whole book (laughs) then the acknowledgement sections um and all that happens in the rest of it is the man with the artificial hair kills the ghost rider and he almost beats Adam to death for not protecting the ghost writer. And then the memoir blows up down the street. He picks it up. And then the whole last chapter is just him with no punctuation rambling about, um, I think, uh, cheeseburger, uh, turkey chili. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> he goes to a restaurant and he can't get the, the meal that he wants. And he says, turkey fucking chili, the story of my life. <laughs> so that's like the last, last bit. But uh, in the chapter called the final chapter, he's very reflective. <coughs> Sorry. I never expect this is 230-231. I never expected to be any more than a common laborer. And I would have considered myself lucky to have achieved that, but I was blessed with so much more. I'm a stand-up comedian and have been for over a quarter of a century. I performed thousands of hours from a small club in Ottawa, Ontario, all the way to a small club in Edmonton, Alberta. Sometimes I get big laughs and think I'm the best stand-up in the whole world. And other times I bomb and I think I'm not even in the top five. Before I was famous, I had a whole bunch of jobs where all I needed was boots. People would look right past me, or if they did look at me, it was with that mean look. But when I got famous, people would look at me and smile and wonder where they knew me from. If they flat out recognized me, they'd laugh and dance like they'd won a prize, and I'd just stand there and smile and feel warm from their love. So the fame made the world, which is a real cold place, a little less cold. And as for my gambling, it's true, I've lost it all a few times, but that's because I always took the big shot, and it never came in. But I still have some time before I cross that river. And if you're at the table, and you're rolling them bones, then there's no money in playing it safe. You have to take all of your chips and put them on double six, and watch as every eye goes to you and then to those red dice doing their wild dance and freezing time before finding the cruel green felt. I've been lucky. I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure... I'm sure he had his own intentions behind adding extra stuff behind that, but that seems like that should be the ending of the book. <laughs> yeah, I found that beautiful i love that it tied to the overall gambling metaphor that he didn't shy away from that as a personal vice that he kind of leaned into it as like an overarching metaphor throughout the novel oh, yeah. and you and i had that conversation over dinner like a couple of nights ago or whatever though um like i don't really know norm or his body of work and i mean i've not even read that book at all but like i feel like just that last little bit is universal to anyone that has like aspirations mm. like regardless of what they are whether it's fame or you know if you want to open a small business or whatever like that idea of you don't have to be the best of the best there is out there and you don't have to be rich and famous and that you can still find happiness in pursuing what matters to you um but you do have to put in like yeah. all of your effort you have to take the shot it's yeah. like what i used to say when we were in college is there's no b plan i've got a creative writing major with a writing minor i will try writing <laughs> yeah. and like the um trying to work a regular job while also trying to work for uh the wedding company which i mean editing wedding videos for a living isn't really like what I want to do for a living but it's moving in a direction closer to what I want to do and like it's been very exhausting <laughs> and uh uh I don't know it's been going on for like seven months now I guess and I'm just I'm hitting a bit of burnout and I just keep having to remind myself like putting in the effort and putting in the risk and like feeling burnout 
like is ultimately trying to achieve a payout that I'm hoping for. Yeah, so you're the red die in the air right yeah. now. So I don't mm. know. Like I, I like that that part is fairly universal, whether or not you know him or you understand the story or you want to be famous. Like you can. Um, I don't know. Taking risks is scary, no matter mm-hmm. what it is. Like you know, if you want to sell jewelry and you want to start your own jewelry line and you have to take out a loan for it like that's scary because then you're like what if i fail and then i'm just out this money that i have to pay back now you're like norm against the fat man with the artificial yeah you've you've (laughs) taken the loan and now you have to try to make the dream come true yeah but or else he's coming back (laughs) yeah but the alternative to not trying to you know start your small business or pursue whatever career you want to do and not taking out the loan is you keep doing what you're already doing Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't satisfy you, then that's kind of depressing. Like if you're doing something you enjoy and you're fine with doing that for a living, then that's different. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I, as someone who's not religious, appreciate that this might be the only shot that we get. And mm-hmm. it's like, do you want to play it safe and then die and you never ever get another chance? Yeah. Or do you want to take risks and hope that you get the payout? <laughs> Yeah, you knew you were safe the entire time, or you had to risk being a little uncomfortable. There's nothing creative, you know. I mean, you have more financial investments because of the nature of what it is that you're pursuing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my investment an expensive is career. <clears throat> I, I've got an expensive pen and a, a notepad that cost me about ninety-five cents, and that's my financial investment. And if I die and the notepad is blank, then that's a hundred percent on me. I can't blame anybody for you know a dream not coming true, um, a book not being written or rewritten or re rewritten. There's the mission. There's the tool. I have a pen, and if you're in a position where you need a little bit more upstart money. Uh, the pen is about three dollars. The notepad's about ninety-five cents, and that's where you built the business plan. <laughs> yeah, and you can I mean, die with the notepad empty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean there are paths to most things. I mean some people legitimately are um, just born into positions where they're quite a bit less fortunate, and mm-hmm. so you have to work harder in that position to get to where you want to be. But I mean. For most people, if you're willing to take a little bit of risk, there are paths to get there. Yeah. I'm talking largely, again, as like a, for creative endeavors. I can't tell you how to be a good lawyer. I, I don't know Go the first school. thing about that. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how one gets into architecture. <laughs> but as far as creatives uh, go, I, I, yeah. Roll the die. Buy the ticket, take the ride. <laughs> Ready to eat some quesadillas and get the fuck out of here? Yeah. All right. Check on my dude. <laughs> I love you, sweetheart. I love you. And I love you guys. And we will talk to you next week. <laughs>